And a good evening from Damien O'Mara. You're welcome to the Thursday edition of Game On. Busy programme to come between now and 7 o'clock. Shortly we will hear from the Republic of Ireland manager Stephen Kenny as he names his squad uh, for the upcoming games away to the Netherlands and the year-ending season friendly against New Zealand at the Aviva Stadium. If that doesn't get the blood pumping, what will? We'll hear from Stephen in just a minute about that game and the squad. We've uh, Champions League chat, Europa League chat, and the latest on Shelburne to come as well. Uh, Neil Tracy's going to join us to chat about some of the big rugby stories of the week. And we're going to have our eye on America, which stepped towards the end of the programme as well. You can text us, our number is 51552, or you can tweet the programme this Thursday evening at Game on 2FM. Game on. On 2FM. A busy programme to come. Uh, Later on, we will chat uh, to Neil about the retirement of Andrew Conway, announced today as a result of a knee injury. Uh, Played for Munster on 150 occasions, 50 tries there. Uh, Obviously had a very successful career for Leinster in advance of that and scored 15 tries in 30 appearances for uh, Ireland. It's quite a hit rate uh, he has. He's the latest player to retire as a result of injury. That and plenty of uh, stories of note in the rugby world to come. But we're going to begin tonight with soccer and as mentioned the Republic of Ireland manager Stephen Kenny out on media duty uh, earlier today naming his squad in advance of uh, the upcoming games against uh, Netherlands and that game against New Zealand. Um, the squad relatively straightforward. Um, there had been some suggestions in some quarters that we might see Seamus Coleman return. That's not been the case. Uh, Sammy Smodix misses out. Andrew Moran's not involved uh, either and nor is there an appearance for uh, Casey McAteer who had uh, appeared to be on course for an Ireland call-up after uh, declaring the Leicester City winger, of course. So, uh, Kevin Kelleher comes back in and there's a recall as well for Troy Parrott, uh, who's obviously doing his business in the Dutch Eredivisie. We um, will chat to David Snade in a moment about all things football, but... Stephen Kenny, and I'm sure when he woke up this morning and knew he was going to be facing into media duty, knew he would be facing into questions about his future. And he's been chatting to our soccer correspondent, Tony O'Donoghue. So do these games against the Netherlands and the friendly against New Zealand signify the end of Stephen Kenny's time in charge of Ireland? You know, that's certainly not my decision. Uh, <laughs> it might well be so. But regardless, we've got a brilliant, you know, what a game. Holland and Amsterdam, 60,000 sellouts. And obviously they need, they're looking to win to qualify. Uh, it's a fantastic game for us. Look, we've not traditionally. Uh, like I've been informed by many excellent internationals that the best result in Irish teams ever had in the qualifiers was Scotland in 1987 away. You know the best mm-hmm. win. So we nearly did ourselves uh, last year. Then we 89 minute against Portugal. So for us, we must have a, a desire to go to Amsterdam and put in a really strong performance because we performed against Portugal. Good teams away from home, Serbia and uh, Scotland, Belgium, all the top teams. We played against France at home and played well. We played against Holland at home and played well. So uh, they're involved in great games of football. Great games of football. And uh, we go to Holland and we want, want a good performance. Have you ruled out any sort of uh, qualification through the uh, Nations League route? I mean, you look at the match of that, I know it's been very complicated. Like, it's, it's unlikely. It's a very unlikely scenario. Uh, so that's... Uh, that's the way it is. From your own point of view, Stephen, I mean, you clearly want to, I imagine, continue with the Irish job. Is that, are you you're putting your name forward that you want to continue the, the work that you've already done? Well, I'm not putting my name forward, but, uh, you know, I'm in a position. I think uh, I like to look at this squad now that we've named. It's a reflection of the work we've done over the last three years. Obviously, it's been a radical shift with 
through our own system in Ireland, we brought 20 players into the first team in what needed to be a radical shift yeah, because the team was at the end of the cycle and not, and not many players available beyond that. Any other players had gone down to divisions. So I think a lot of the players that, that were omitted. So this is uh, a new Irish team now and you know, it could well be my last two games. That could be, it could be the case. But if that is the case, whether it is or isn't, uh, I'm proud of what the squad will represent, I think, uh, with the skill levels and values that it has, and will go on to be, you know, be a good team. Do you want to continue the work with this squad? Of course squad? I do, yeah, but that's, that, uh, you know, I'm not making a, a plea for that. Uh, you know, I think we'll go and play against Holland, go and play New Zealand, and that's, uh, you know, you know it's, it's not about me, personally, it's about what's best for Irish football, and uh, that's it. At Stephen Kenny chatting to Tony O'Donoghue earlier uh, today. David Snade, as mentioned, from the 42.ie is with me in studio. Um, it's one of these like kind of thankless tasks, and I feel sorry for him because no doubt he woke up this morning and he knew whatever he called into the squad, it's going to be completely overshadowed by justified ongoing questions about his future. Yeah, like it's pretty much, I, was, I suppose, if you go back to earlier in the campaign after that defeat in Athens in the nature of it and the fact that obviously the big build up to it and how important that was and then just like some some of the previous campaigns that there had been as well it just before there was any chance to build up any momentum or get a bit of a rhythm going the, the life was just taken out, out of the campaign you know and playing catch up but it was coming from a point where it, it couldn't happen at that point like Ireland needed to be able to get on the front foot in a campaign and be in a position where coming into these last two games where it, well, the last game it wasn't a dead rubber and essentially even going into the, the previous window when, when Greece obviously came to came to Dublin and won and, and won well like that was already already the case and like people remember being out at the at the press conference in, in Abbottstown when obviously following the, the whole um Vera Pell's situation when they had to report into the Women's World Cup and how they made the decision to actually kind of go in a different direction from mm. Vera Pell and then obviously around then that's when they actually well no Stephen Kenny's still going to be in the job because that's that was that was the question then will there just be a, a cut then because that was essentially the chances of qualifying were gone and Mark Cannon the director of football and Jonathan Hill obviously the CEO said no it's going to be the campaign will be will be seen out and like what happened with with the with the women's team with Vera Pell there's going to be a review into all the processes and everything that's gone with it now you speak to people obviously you have your sources you kind of get an insight of what's going on is there a chance the Ryan is on the wall here. We mm. know we know what's coming. Stephen Kenny is kind of alluded to himself there in terms of kind of even acknowledging you know these could be his last two games. Yeah. When someone like when he when he's even saying that, yeah, I I think was there a kind like I got a sense the mood the mood music really changed after the Greece game at home. That you know I think I remember we were we were presenting the program in the Aviva that was on a Sunday evening or whatever it was and. You're kind of saying to yourself, it's not a night for coming out and saying we've had more passes, but Greece were more effective. We had more mm. chances, but they were more clinical. And I, I, I kind of got a sense there was almost an acceptance that night that even if you go back, even go back earlier, not even that, but going back to Athens, like the deflation that there would have been there, and even how Stephen Kenny was talking afterwards, and like they knew then that the campaign it was going to be such an uphill battle. Mm. 
and that had this group at that point got it in them to be able to to pull it out the bag and they just it just had, wasn't it wasn't feasible and it's going back and you, you hear Stephen Kenny talking there and like I would be of a very similar opinion so much of the work I think is something that you could still stand over and be proud of yeah. in terms of what's actually happened in terms of having to bring in players but again like Ganton that his job when he was doing that was to try and somehow somehow find a way to marry up results to keep Ireland in contention long enough in groups because that was that's the bigger killer point in all this is that it's actually been gone in groups a bit too a, too early yeah. do you know like no, again no one again no one even though obviously he was coming in this wave of positivity and he was talking about the way he wanted to take things in the direction of how he wanted to bring the Irish football team and then you see now where it's coming into his last couple of games and it's just so flat because really. if you if you want to be like I don't know if it's clinical or cynical but if you want to say we went into this as third seeds in the group we were in pot three for qualifying mm. we're going to finish fourth in the group so we have failed to even achieve what should notionally be our seeding which if that's the barometer of success or failure we know we have underachieved but like you said um, yeah, yeah it, it just you just get to these tepid nights in the Aviva where you're saying to yourself if I didn't have my season ticket bought or if I hadn't yeah. bought these two as a double and header with something else would I be here at all but and but even from a point of view obviously you're, you're covering it and even from a professional point of view you're thinking you're wanting it to work and, and change because what he's doing and coming in it's not as if he's ripping up a script that's worked in Irish football for the last 30 years mm. and it's decided well yeah We've had great success for 30 years doing, doing X, Y and Z, but I'm going to do something totally different and that's failed. Like He's changed, he's tried to change what, how Ireland have played and it hasn't worked. He still managed to bring players through who are going to have hopefully very, very good futures both in the Premier League and internationally. Mm. It now, like what you, he even said it there, like he, see, he likes the look of this squad now and where it's at. But he's just probably run out of road to be to be given the chance and to be trusted to bring it on and be the one shown that capable of actually delivering mm-hmm. with these group of players. Because now the questions like has been previously well, what can another manager get out of these players? Because that coming in, it's not as if the new manager coming in is gonna if if it was to happen once this review is is done and they make that if they make that decision, it's gonna be ripping up another script again. Mm-hmm. Like the squad that's being built are the best group of players it's about well do you have to do something and tweak something differently or find a different way of doing and getting results with these players but like, these are questions and these are some of the stuff that we've been talking about for but it's, and it's, listen it's, it's like you said there was a time that you know Giovanni Trapattoni and Martin O'Neill and other managers would name squads and we'd have sat in situations like this and we'd have said where's Wes Hoolahan where's mm-hmm. this fella why is this lad in why is that lad out like it's very hard to look at that the only names that really stand out are like Realistically, Seamus Coleman, having played two games for the Everton under-21s, probably doesn't justify his place compared to where he was at earlier in the campaign. That, Like you've touched upon, you don't look at that squad and say, like, could Georgie Kelly have possibly forced his way know, in? You know, yeah. like, there's, not, there's no massive gulf in terms of saying there's an injustice or there's a big talking point here in terms of players that could help the cause that are being omitted. No, well, that's it. That, that comes back to the, like, the level of kind of just... just change that has happened mm. over the last well the players who have come in like, even if you go back you mentioned like, you mentioned Seamus Coleman if you actually go back to the very start of Stephen Kenny's reign like it was someone who he actually he wasn't able to include him into squads chose not to and then realised well actually you saw the influence that he was having and the actual presence that he has around the squad and obviously a level of pragmatism was like no this fella is too important to be to be leaving out and some of the players that have have, have come through like 
obviously you you would wish it's a shame if Ferguson's not maybe a couple of years older and was maybe a bit further down the line. But you know what? That's what happens. That's just, that's, the, nature that, of it, that's yeah. the nature of it. You have to. And some of the issues that have happened, be it injuries, obviously at the start, COVID, blah blah blah. But so many international managers have to deal with some of the same issues that Stephen Kenny has had in terms of best players not being available, be it through suspension, be it through injury, could be form all that kind of stuff and then somehow you have to try and find a way and unfortunately he just hasn't been able to get the results to, to maybe possibly get another contract um, when we look at it in a couple of ways like if if there's the inevitability that the, the board meeting what's that hardly squeeze a board meeting in at the end of this month will they you're looking at a December board meeting or more likely a January board mm. meeting if there's to be a decision well this is the thing like there normally is one isn't it I think it's yeah. at the end it's, it's normally it's the, the last Tuesday yeah, or Thursday of the, the month or something the month, like yeah, that, yeah, that it, was, it always follows in the last week of the month yeah because if you remember what was happening with Vera Pell I'm almost sure it is that she, oh, I think it could be the Thursday because there was this stuff where they were coming out late at night remember yeah. Vera Pell was getting the phone call at about half ten quarter to eleven at night after the board meeting is finished to, to inform her yeah. that she wasn't going to be getting a new contract because like like realistically you look at like whatever clamour or debate existed after the Gibraltar game in June that that was the time to make a change like realistically it, it didn't make sense to bring a new manager in in a wave of enthusiasm and have them face France away and the Netherlands at mm. home and straight away the narrative is negative like but the respectful thing to do or is it is there a place for respect in football to well, say is, let him see let him see out his time and let him have his farewell if that's to be the case like, of course well obviously respect but it's also professionalism in the sense of as an association if they feel well they've made a decision. But like, there's no point in getting rid of a manager if you don't know what who's going to be coming yeah. in next. So like, it's like any 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 job. If you feel well, actually, we've identified somebody else, and obviously we're talking still in this say, stage where it clearly hasn't been the case because it hasn't happened. If they've decided, well, do you know what? We've actually identified somebody else who we feel we want. Mm. Well, then that's professional to go after that person if they can. The nature of football, you sound them out, you get a sense is that a job, <laughs> and then something would have happened. But. The FAI have gone down the route of let the campaign play itself out, do the do the review, and it'd be interesting because again I'm going back just purely off the basis of because it is quote unquote a new FAI in terms of the hierarchy yeah. of the people who are making the, the decisions. So you go off well, what's their form? How have they done things? And they did it with Vera Power. They had that post World mm. Cup review. They said they're going to be carrying out a similar review to the whole Stephen Kearney era and to this campaign. So if the players like it was with with Vera Power and players are going to be getting spoken to. Like, in my head, if you're thinking and you're going what they say on the record and you're also going by the conversations and the stuff you would have from your own sources about what's happening within the squad, the only, at the moment, you, you could say, well, chance he has of, of keeping his job is if that groundswell comes and he says, the dressing when in the dressing room where they say, well, hold on, like, this is someone who they still have faith in, mm. but also allied with the fact that if they don't feel that they can get a person coming in who they feel can actually be that person to get more, well then that's when things then begin to weigh up and you have to level it out and say well the feeling that's actually in the dressing room never mind everything else we're us here talking and some of the other stuff that's happening on the outside it's what's happening in the yeah. dressing room but then if you can get that person to come in to actually take over or you can't that's when that's when this becomes a bit trickier then and and that's when the, the, sense, the sense I get like the, there was deafening silence from the women's squad on the record and off the record mm. around the time of the Vera Pau situation you don't like you do get a genuine sense of support for Stephen from some of the players that I would have had minor interactions with. I don't know if your experience yeah. is the same, but um, again, listen. I suppose the, the crux of all this is there's a man still in the job and he's got two games to go. And like, it is it's difficult to get too excited about it, isn't it? 
I say James McLean is pretty excited. He'll yeah, be coming he, in for, even, for his swan song. Yeah, but he, even that, friendly is, with New Zealand. Is that not a kind of a, a marketing tool along the way as well? Is that like you're not good enough to be in the squad for the competitive games, but we'll bring you back for what's a meaningless oh, friendly uh, at the yeah. end of the calendar well, year? Well, I think it was. Hope it sticks an extra couple of thousand seats. Now, listen, tell me I'm cynical if I'm being cynical, but. You know, yeah, well, possibly, possibly, but then it's also a case of he made he made the decision, didn't he, after the last window where he came out and said that he was going to be hanging up his boots and and retiring. So he obviously had his moment as well when he got his when he got his hundred caps and and this would be the the one to to send it off. You know, um, to move on, uh, like we talked with Tim Clancy in studio last night, and we we joked about like an hour is a long time in football, let alone a week. <laughs> um, so the start of the program, uh, an hour Dan, felt very long last. Well, night, Dan, Dan McDonald was tweeting about the potential. Change Changeover. By the time we came off air, you were tweeting about the potential changeover. You know, changeover of control at Shelburne is going to happen, and not only is it going to happen, there's not going to be a massive financial deal, if any financial deal here at all. This is bizarre. Explain to me what's played out as um, much as you can. Well, no, like as it was described to me, it was like a deal that was just couldn't believe that it could get ha- happen. Like so, obviously. For people who wouldn't be aware of obviously Shelbourne were taken over by a uh, Turkish millionaire um, Adjun Ilikoy who would be the owner of Hull City as well it was kind of beginning to have that whole multi-club model and, yeah. and using it and stuff and that would have been back in June so it's not even six months ago yeah. you know, it was, it's actually I think it's actually um, today, today five months but the, the important thing is so a lot of the headlines around that was it was a 60% stake which was worth Three million, million euro. euro. Yeah, so that, my, is not, that is not the same as writing a check no. for three million euro. There, yeah, so, so yeah. that's that's what I was writing yesterday. So obviously following up on Dan McDonald's story in the in the Irish Independent, and obviously you're just trying to get a sense of well, what's actually going on here, really. Like, what is going? What's going to be coming down the line? And yeah, so it was put to me that a substantial amount was put up for that sixty percent to get control of the club, but it wasn't the three million all mm. up front at once. Now cards on the table I haven't been able to determine what exactly how much that, that money has been in terms of what was what was used put up from both it's been it's been left behind it's, it's, not getting pay, it's not getting paid back and the, any of the money that's been left over which my understanding there will be still some isn't going to be getting paid back mm. there's going to be some kind of strategic partnership partnership still happening between the two clubs between Hull and Shelbourne but there's not going to be any minority stake involved in the club. It's going to be back and fully in, in control of of the Irish directors who were who were there previously. But and it, the it, um, what was the yeah? It's it's a remarkable like you know we we have the Save Talca Park campaign a couple of months back. This has almost become the same Save Damien Duff campaign because <laughs> well, like that's at the heart of the job. Well, no, but like like and from my experience and again talking to people, uh, I did the TV sideline for Shamrock Rovers against Shells and Talla. I don't know how many weeks ago it was at this stage, and the whispers even strong whispers more than whispers were oh the deal has been agreed in principle and Damien's going to stay on and yeah. and then you fast forward to Friday night where he puts it out there himself I don't know what the situation is then over the weekend there's no offer at all so this like this is you know there has been by all accounts I'd say the inbox of the poor secretary at Hull City has been bombarded with emails about yeah. saving Damien Duff so it's um, it's a strange like the, the it's strange because it's all it's happened all and as with me all just very calmly and very yeah. amicably. There's been no, it's not being drawn out. Like the the, the the Turkish owners have basically said, you know what, we're going. We were looking at this in a different direction. This isn't where we want to go, and they're happy to walk away. And the, the, but the future and what was happening with Damien Duff has been at the heart of it yeah. because, as it was put to me, they weren't. They didn't explicitly say we're getting rid of Damien Duff, but it was the fact that there was total stagnation in terms of talks. Like I wrote a piece in the forty-two before the final game of the season, when four places still up for grabs, mm. saying 
the contract hadn't been signed. I was under the impression it was close to happening before that. That yeah. like you, like in ta- the, like night, the night like in Tala, I left Tala that, that night. That it was a done deal, and it was just a case of yeah. when the when the ink hit the page. But then, obviously, in, subsequently from that, I was hearing obviously that it hadn't been the case. But that you know, it's not a distraction. But, Etc. Etc. Now that's obviously because there's still a lot to play for before the end of the season. Maybe they don't want, to, and that's when Damien Duff came out and and explained. But that's been at the heart of it because, as it put to me, the Irish directors were basically saying Damien Duff has brought the heart and soul back into the club. Oh, listen, you know, yeah. and you see the connection with the fans and yeah. and everything, and it has been the case. And it's not just because he's Damien Duff and he's a big name and and all the rest. It's the way he carries himself is they gets the kind of the mentality he has and, and just how he has kind of forged that connection with with supporters but also the also the squad and the players and and stuff he, he, it genuinely has been one of the, one of the best things to happen for oh, massively. Like, in years it'd you know? be, be some crack now if he ends up the Ireland manager before the season gets underway or Stephen Bradley does he forget, and he's been linked to it's been that long and Stephen the, the rain you forget that he was in, involved in the in the setup. you know go back all those years all those years to do it the whole Wembley fallout and his reasons for yeah. leaving in the F, FAI you know making a stand against what the FAI was then at that point where he just felt I cannot work with these people mm. not Stephen Kenny after what happened but the, people the association, the, association you the, know? the interesting thing in the dynamic around here is if you're Akko Nilakali and you're whoever his director of football is in Hull and, and you want to have a multi-club model it is not unreasonable to want to have a multi-club model where the affiliates all are structured in a similar way to ultimately benefit your mm. main team but that's a difficult sell obviously too like you can't you can't impose that on a manager who's a year and a half into his reign at Tolka Park and try and say, sorry, Paul, you have to play this way. Yeah, and from my understanding of it as well, I don't think it was necessarily a, a total case of where you have to play a certain way. It's more so a case of some of the control that Damien Duff would have been having on where things were going in terms of recruitment mm. and this, the players coming in and going wasn't going to be there. So obviously... Like they've benefited massively this season from the whole link because you see uh, Wood and Jarvis coming oh, man, in from like Hull and they such a difference towards the tail end of the season. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like they really were able to give them that little bit of a spark that they'd already got in terms of the base that was there in terms of how they were how they were set up. But yeah, like it was more so a case of that maybe that not having that same having that same sense of control and then on one hand wanting to go a certain way with things and obviously on the other it's not and then on this in this instance it's the manager who hadn't been offered a contract and the people who are kind of backing mm-hmm. him who are still on the board who won out you know the interesting thing in all of this now is that you look at a situation where like you know clubs are all in different situations by all accounts there's a couple of Shelburne players who were out of contract by the time they left Weavers Park on Friday yeah. evening are certainly key players um, if the Akon Ilikali backing is not there to what extent does that impact potentially on a budget for next season yeah, well, this is the thing. So if you go back to November of last year, 2022, like, Shells were in talks with um, Sport Republic, the firm who kind of, I think they have the, the controlling stake at Southampton. And that wasn't a deal that got done or went far enough down the line to, to get done. But this is, this investment, and this is the reason why, obviously, the money was, was taken in the first place back in back in June, is because this is where the investors at Shells realised that that needed to be, needed to happen. You know, now, What's going to happen now is going to be interesting to see. Well, what's coming down the line in terms of will they have other investors now lined up? Will there be further people getting involved? That's one of the other aspects now to see. Well, what's going to happen? Because if you go back to it, even with with um, with Adjun and and the whole the whole gig, like they had links as well to going in with Dundalk. Mm. Dundalk are also now in a process where they they are need investment as well. Like they're going to be losing players. They've already told Pahuban, who was our top scorer last year, that he can leave the club. And um, players again, players are out of contract. 
uh, at Shell. We're only extended back. Paddy Barrett, I think, has the... Yeah, of I spoke deal. very openly on the LOS Central the, podcast uh, during the week about yeah. it and, and, you know, over the weekend. Yeah, like and then as well, their captain, Luke Bourne, who I know obviously hadn't... He kind of was in and out maybe towards mm. the second half of the season, but just a vitally important part of that squad. Like, he's been offered the uh, system manager yeah. job at UCD. So that's something that's up in the air mm. as well, because obviously Ronan Finn is leaving Sean McGrover's yeah. to, to go back there and play for UCD and, and study his master's. And so, the reality is, you've got a lot of clubs, like, we, you know, we see press release from certain clubs and we're talking about multi-year contracts and everything else like a lot of clubs have their business done for next year and there's other clubs will strike while the iron is hot and if you can say to a player at Dundalk or Shelburne or somewhere else there's a little bit of uncertainty where you are here's certainty that we can guarantee you from February when pre-season training starts back and and that was one of the issues in terms of even going back a couple of weeks because like Remember, you were speaking there about that Rovers game against Shelbourne. That's when I think Stephen Bradley was talking about, you know, oh, Damien Duff and Shells are going to have the big, mm. biggest budget in the league. I'm hearing this, X, Y, and Z. But then the nature of the league, normally you'll get a sense of who's going to end up where, who's going to. But like, you weren't hearing Shells have made a big deal mm. for anyone, really. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, what you weren't hearing that they've been talking. And this was clearly where some of the, the strife had been between the two of them, where obviously Damien Duff was maybe possibly looking at lads within the league who he knows can take him to that next level domestically. Obviously, the the whole lads are thinking. Well, we want to think think you know, a little we, bit. We have a few think, lads here on the periphery that do you know we, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. and that's where the control aspect of it came in. And but one hundred percent because we've seen it now this week with with Sean McRoberts, for example. Like they were able to tie down Rory Gaffney. You know, Rory Gaffney had the opportunity last season, or just now, to to go for to go to Dirty City. Mm. But because of what was happening with the nature of Rovers and having to wait until they won the league and get the revised budget. They weren't able to do their business, and that was one one of the frustrations. There was many for Stephen Bradley because he normally has everything boxed off very early, and that's how they've been able to sustain that dominance over a while. Is because there's been no churn of core players there, you know. Well, the the tension and sleepless nights, you know, ratchet up before the cup final on Sunday. I have to say, this part of the year is nearly my favourite part of the League of Ireland season because the rumour mill is just ludicrous. You know, it's <laughs> insane. You know, it's brilliant. Um, couple of games ongoing. Uh, Evan Ferguson on the bench for Brighton. They're one nil up, approaching half time away to Ajax. Uh, Keevan Kelleher in goal for Liverpool who are 1-0 down away to Toulouse um, in their game um, Man United again last night like it is like I was going to say it's the gift that keeps on giving in terms of talking points but that's disingenuous to Manchester United fans but Eric Ten Hag must be wondering what in the name of God have I got myself in for here and sorry Marcus Rashford you get you get your knuckles wrapped for going to a party after oh, the Merseyside yeah. derby and then you get your chance of redemption in the Champions League. And I know people are saying, oh, when you slow it down, it's, you know, a sending off is a sending off. And I can't really subscribe to the view that Rashford didn't deserve to be sent off last night. I would disagree. Okay. Um, respect. Oh, that's listen, come here. But, um, no, this, but this it's is, all about yeah. respect. But no, well, in terms of United, like, they're ninth of the season this year. Like, you kind of expect when the going gets tough in games, especially this season for United, and it happened last year, you forget some of the absolute hidings they got yeah. away from home, especially. But like, even the, the number of times you'd be presenting the weekend programmes on Radio 1 and you talk about history at Old Trafford, where oh, Sheffield yeah, United yeah. have just won their first game in, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, it's... But that's what, and especially at Old Trafford, because last season, that's what kept the show on the road big time for 10 was their home form was exceptional mm. last year like after that Brighton defeat early on in the season when Brighton like just cut through them they didn't lose again they won the majority mm. of their games and that's what got them over the line whereas this year they've just stuttered and some of the players that were there last year and were so instrumental just have not got going at all this year and just the nature of what's happened I suppose at, at United for the last decade really since Ferguson's left like once the momentum starts to shift negatively 
it's so so difficult for the group of players whoever they be because there's been different groups of players there to be able to actually shift it and turn around and that's the cycle that this United team are in at the moment it's just going to be that kind of you can kind of see it a kind of mid-table-ish yeah. kind of season and Europe going out of the Champions League more than likely will he get well, there's a severe there's a major possibility they're going to finish bottom of that group as well yeah. You know? yeah big win for Arsenal to get back to winning ways we'll debate Marcus Rashford justice for Marcus Rashford another time <laughs> I definitely thought it was the sending off the, the interesting thing is I, I watched um, I watched the first half of it on television and the TV coverage was like definitely sending off definitely yeah. sending off I then had a few things to do and I was listening to talk sports coverage on their app and they were like up in arms over Rashford being sent off and I was thinking straight away like such power Obviously now if Talksport say it definitely wasn't I'm now thinking maybe it was so that's now making me doubt myself I didn't even have to talk to you about intent yeah. or anything else I just had to mention Talksport No I just got the sense no, it, I don't sometimes you know yourself with tackles like, if there's a bit of force in it it did strike me as it was clumsy Clumsy yeah and unaware of what was going on around Yeah you're saying yeah. danger in an opponent but like, it's not as if he's like properly like stamping his feet as in going in to win a ball he's kind of doing that thing where you step yeah. across a player to get your body in front like anyway, listen. Tell you what, that's the world we live in. We'll recreate it on the corridor, and we'll see which end of us, which one of us comes out better. <laughs> David, thanks so much for being with us. No uh, David Snape from the Forty Two chatting football and much more. We're going to switch attention to rugby after the break. Stay with us. Two FM. You're very welcome back to the programme. We're going to switch attention from uh, soccer to rugby and uh, RT Sports. Neil Tracy joins me in studio. Um, before we, we talk about anything, one of the inherently decent guys that you can have dealings with in Irish rugby, there's plenty of them, but Andrew Conway is one in particular. And like a real, like these things happen with injuries because you can never predict when someone's going to have to have an incident occur at the call time in their career. But it really took me by surprise when I saw the email from Munster today to say he was forced to call time in his career. Yeah, um, I think mainly because most of us, Damien, thought that he was through the knee trouble that kept him out for mm. the better part of 18 months, missed out all of last season and the, the summer tour of New Zealand before that and came back. I, I interviewed him during the summer. He said he was, you know, back feeling fit. He was through through it all. He was ready to go for the new season. Came back, started that first game of the season for Munster, got a try which neatly was a 50th try for him on yeah. his 150th appearance for the province. And um, a few days later, did notice, like in one of Munster's release, they just mentioned he picked up a knock. Mm. And it was only, I was looking back at them today, and you could see maybe they were trying to kind of keep something under wraps, which is obviously understandable, until Tuesday his name appeared in the, the injury list with knee brackets um, around them and mm. from that point you just kind of thought it doesn't look good and obviously the news came today Yeah but even more so like had been in Carton, or had been in Ireland camp at one point in advance of the Rugby World Cup now I think by his own admission was kind of there to help boost the numbers but like was obviously someone that was still on Andy Farrell's extended radar Yeah and, but even just look back at his the year 18 months he had playing with Ireland prior to that injury and he was absolutely integral any time he was fit he was starting out on the right wing for uh, for Ireland you look back at the last game he played for Ireland against England at Twickenham in the Six Nations and arguably one of his best performances ever out of his 30 caps for Ireland two unbelievable 50-22s mm. which I know we associate him with like a fantastic running style and scoring yeah. some brilliant tries but he did the the bread and butter and the nitty gritty work really really well and it was one of those 50-22s that eventually led to a penalty that Johnny Sexton kicked to put Ireland ahead in the final quarter from where they pulled away and um, he was probably playing some of his best rugby prior, prior to picking but up that injury. When you look at his hit rate you mentioned 50 tries and 150 appearances for Munster 15 tries and 30 Ireland caps a triple crown top scorer of the 2019 Rugby World Cup like that In you almost suffer 
because you're in the generation that have been so impressive that if that was another time in Irish rugby, you know, there'd be statues of him going up outside the Aviva Stadium, but that's how important a player and how impressive a player he was. Yeah, 100%. And it was 2017 before he even got his break with Ireland, came off the bench in a Six Nations game at the end of that Six Nations Championship in 2017, uh, toured with Ireland that summer by the autumn. He was starting out in the right wing against South Africa, scored his first try then and was was pretty much a, a fixture in in squads and maybe the extended match day 23 across those next few years and once Andy Farrell took over you could see he was very much part of the mm. part of the first team plan so you know just 32 years of age you, looking at the style of player he was you'd easily have said he had another 2-3 years ahead of him similar to someone like Keith Earls who was a few years older he was of that same mould as well and just a huge loss to, to Munster and Irish rugby Yeah and listen come here you have to listen to your body and you have far more life outside of rugby than you do inside of rugby so we wish Andrew um, and his family the very best um, we were chatting to David Snade before the break about the, the rumour mill in um, League of Ireland circles and everything else and similar big news from the Crusaders and a lot of people down in Munster perhaps getting excited at the prospect of an Irish qualified prop landing into Limerick Yeah this is really interesting and it came properly out of the blue this morning so Ollie Yeager who some people might know, I'd say maybe a lot of kind of hardened rugby fans would definitely know who he is. aficionados, like in particular, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so he's been over, He's uh, he was born in London but grew up in Kildare, went to school in Dublin and moved over to New Zealand 10 years ago to to chase his dream over there, having not made the, the cut with Leinster. And uh, by 2017, called up to the Crusaders for Super Rugby. He's won five Super Rugby titles. He's been the first choice tight head for the last uh, two of those seasons. Ever since, coincidentally, Michael Alala Toa moved to and Leinster opened the door for him to start with the Crusaders and he had been chasing a dream of of playing for the All Blacks and and listen had been spoken about in fairly significant terms because yeah. like you know you you will know this little world we live in where when New Zealand travel to this part of the world we have people that we annoy to do stuff and when there's stuff going on from the Northern Hemisphere we get phone calls at unordinate hours of the day to do contributions yeah. and like I definitely remember getting correspondence from people in New Zealand to say what can you tell us about this fella because I think maybe Greg Feek or somebody in a, in a briefing at some point had spoken really positively about not even his ability, but that very fact that it takes a great deal to uproot yourself and move yourself halfway across the world to chase the dream. Like That's the type of dedication and commitment that elite teams look out for. Yeah, and he was very much on the radar, it seems, of New Zealand, up until quite recently anyway, uh, we'd assume, because he'd been included in, I don't know, do you remember that All Blacks 15 yes. that came and played yeah. Ireland last yeah. year? He was initially in that squad, missed out on playing Ireland Day because of injury. He'd been called up to, to play for that same non-capped New Zealand team over the summer when they were touring Japan, but he missed out there as well. He had to return home for, for personal reasons. So he had been on the radar. I think probably the fact, though, that his Crusaders teammate Fletcher Newell would have been picked ahead of him for the, the Rugby World Cup squad in, this, uh, in a couple of months ago while Jaeger was starting ahead of him for the Crusaders. That maybe might have triggered something in his mind that maybe the, the All Black stream wasn't going to happen for him. But it did come out of the blue. I was spoke, speaking to a journalist I know down in New Zealand earlier this morning and he said nobody was expecting it yeah. until it landed that he wasn't in the squad. And Rob Penny, former Munster coach, now coach of the Crusaders, all but hinted he was going to be to be heading back to Ireland. It looks now as if it's and going listen, to be monster. At twenty eight years of age, you know he's got uh, what was it twenty seven appearances for Canterbury 50, 51. Like so, you know he's seventy odd games under his belt. 
like he's a man who has a lot of rugby left in him if he can come back to Munster and hit his traps. He does, and he's he's a big guy as well. He's six foot four. He's just under twenty stone, but he's a very very skillful rugby player as well. And obviously, he would have built up a lot of weight when he went over to New Zealand and kind of grew into his position in the prop. He wasn't always a he wasn't always a tight head prop. That was something he kind of grew into as, as he went over there. Uh, I interviewed him last year and he said he learned so much from Jason Ryan, who's now mm. the, the forwards coach with uh, with the All Blacks. So he is someone who probably does have a lot of miles still left in the clock and has a good skill set and it'll be really interesting to see do you know what his he nick- can do. Do you know his nickname? I don't. He's the flying bull. That's <laughs> what they call him. So, so how's John Hayes going to feel about a new bull coming into it? Like this, you know, these are the things you have to put up. With. Serendipity. Someone, someone needs to ring John Hayes and make sure he's happy with a fellow landing into <laughs> Munster who's going to take a variation of his uh, of his nickname. Um, with the URC obviously ongoing this weekend, um, Ulster against Munster is, is the game from an Irish perspective that really jumps out. And again, this balancing act of psychologically and physically, when do you start to bring some of the Irish players back in? Ulster have obviously gone all in um, a bit of a mixed approach from a Munster perspective yeah and it's funny because during the week Graham Rowntree the Munster head coach he kind of hinted that when Ulster played Connacht last week he said if you look at their team sheets from last week they were obviously targeting their home game against Munster tomorrow equally I think if you look at Munster's team sheet leaving out Conor Murray Tyburn Peter O'Mahony Dave Kilcoyne all of whom are available after coming back into training from the World Cup. You could probably say Munster have one eye on the Stormers next week at Thoman Park in a repeat of the URC final. So that's not to say they're not sending a good team up to up to Kingspan Stadium tomorrow night because there are a lot of first-team players in there. It's just guys who weren't necessarily away with Ireland. You still have the likes of Shane Daly, Calvin Nash, who's fit again after picking up a knee injury last week. You've got um, you've got John Ryan in there, very experienced mm-hmm. tight head. Jeremy Lockman does come back in from the World Cup squad and a pretty competitive back row then as well of you know Alex Kendall and uh, Gavin Coombs and John Hodnett, Craig Casey and Jack Crowley arguably a first choice half-back pairing uh, depending on what Conor Murray has to say about it so there is a pretty good team there looking at the, the squads on balance though Ulster probably do have a good bit of experience and a good bit of quality on the bench they're holding back Ian Henderson and Rob Herring on the replacements bench John Cooney is there as well and, and Dave Ewer is their, their summer signing from Exeter so I think if it's a if it's a close game heading into those last 20 minutes Ulster would probably be targeting it's, it. It's an interesting dynamic because like you've got uh, you know and you, you talk to players and coaches like the pre-season has gone on like you know if mm. you think the Irish team went into camp on I think it was the 20th of June in advance yeah. of the Rugby World Cup and like obviously the URC teams had to be ready to go in case the phone call came to get yourself to France as mm. quick as you could like it's not a formality for these lads to walk back in because you've got guys who've had whatever number of weeks to impress and partnerships to develop and everything else so um but yes, we're a month away from the start of the Champions Cup, so uh, you know it's the, you wouldn't fancy the coaches and the balancing act that they have to carry out. Yeah, and and I think you know when you think of it as well, they still have to do that balancing act over the Christmas period that they would in any other year, where you've you know players from the November internationals that are rested at, at various spots, and you know if Munster are leaving out the likes of Tyburn, Connor Murray, Peter Romani, Dave Kilcoyne this week. It means that they have them for for one other week inside in December, which is obviously a a very, very crucial point as well because we're in a spot right now where I think the teams are playing pretty much straight through without a a break until the middle of January. Mm. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, 
and even I think Munster at that stage will have a their game against the the Crusaders. Oh no, sorry, that's the day after the um the Six Nations opener. See, so, yeah, you're looking at a 12, 13 week block here, so there's a lot of a lot of minutes to be managed with a lot of very very important players, and squads are smaller than they were a few years ago with the way the URC has worked out. So there's there's just a bit of a bal- bit of a balancing act to be done. Um, there's a Johnny Sexton shaped hole over in UCD where UC, or where Leinster are preparing obviously for uh, their game against the Dragons at the weekend. Um, no massive surprise that it's Gary Ringrose and James Ryan who are the two men who you know we hear so much about these leadership teams that exist within all of these elite setups. So they're they're the men that will. Uh, either alternate or share Leinster's captaining duties over the course of the year? Yeah, I think that the real answer will be who's doing the who's doing the coin toss before the match. I think that's when we'll really, Actually, the, that's when oh, we'll really find out the, ba- the, ba- the balance of power. You've, you've hit now, you've hit a nerve, right? <laughs> the level, now it's completely disproportionate. The level of disproportionate frustration I took looking at the Irish women's teams for the tournament they were playing in Dubai and there's two captains listed, joint captains. Yeah. There's no joint captains. One man has to make a decision, heads or tails, and one man makes the decision in the 79th minute of a match when you're down two points do we go for the post or do we go for the corner this co-captaincy thing is yeah exactly when the two of them are in the same team who's the man who's captain inside but well the fun, the funny side of it then as well is you obviously have Gary Ringrose and James Ryan co-captaining for the season but for half the season they're pretty much not going to be playing yeah. with Leinster so it's, it's kind of a, a three-way balance of power with maybe you'd kind of say Scott Penny who's been captaining for the for the first few weeks this poor, season poor Reese Ruddock who must have more captain's appearances than any man in Irish Luke McGrath as well, well yeah, I mean they have plenty of options yeah um, the big question is when Andy Farrell and his management team they've this bunker in the IRFU head office on Lansdowne Road that they you know that's where all the great victories over the last couple of years have been planned from James Ryan has to be the front runner to replace Johnny Sexton doesn't he I wonder is uh, is Andy Farrell kind of wishing Leinster had made the decision for him by by making by making one of them the yeah. the sole captain and yeah. he can just follow off off the back of it. You would probably assume it's going to be James Ryan. He generally has filled that role over mm. the last few years. It would be pretty strange having had James Ryan yeah, having, consistently yeah. fill in as captain over the last two years only to go with someone else in a couple of months' time for the Six Nations. Yeah, we'll wait and see how it plays out. Uh, safe travels over the weekend. Thanks Thank so much you. for being with us. Neil Tracy uh, from RT Sports with us in studio. We're going to go to the States and chat American sport with Shep. After the break, stay with us. Game on. Eye on America. And you're very welcome back to the programme. It's time to go to the States. Shep, how are you? I'm great, Damien. How are you doing today, Good buddy? Good to talk to you, as always. Uh, listen, I want to start by following up on a story I know you were talking to Shane about last week. We, we, You and I, the last time we spoke, had... Um, chatted about the trades and maybe the last minute pressure for NFL franchises to do their business and Joshua Dobbs a man who made a move and uh, as debuts go he pretty impressed last weekend (laughs) Uh, Damien I'm I'm trying to find a similar you know performance in, in American sports history where someone gets traded just a couple of days before doesn't really know anybody's name uh hasn't really had a chance to practice with the team very much he's you know, working with the center down on the field before the game, the practice cadences, so they know when to snap the ball. And then he goes out and he scores three touchdowns. He throws for 160 yards. He leads his team to a three-point win in his debut. And it just kind of was just like a, whoa, man, what just happened here? But Josh Dobbs traded from the Arizona Cardinals to the Minnesota Vikings. And we talked about, you know, they'd been playing pretty good football and and, and had come back from an early season stumble. And then Kirk Cousins blew out his Achilles. And so they were 
not wanting to give up on this season. They've got some of the best receivers in the game. And Dobbs comes in and really, I mean, short notice. And he comes in and he's the the NFC Conference Player of the Week offensively for his performance. It's just a tremendous, tremendous effort. The other NFL story is obviously the, the continuing international expansion. Um, I, I mentioned to you there's a Steelers watch party coming to Crow Park and sure. it's, it's sold out. Um, we've had games in Frankfurt and by all accounts th- this is showing no signs of slowing down and if anything we're going to see more and more NFL games travel to Europe in particular. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, all, all the London games that we've had, I think we've had four of them already this year and then back-to-back weeks now in Germany. Uh, the, the Indianapolis Colts and the New England Patriots are going to play this Sunday in Frankfurt. Interestingly enough, Damien, I've learned this in the last couple of weeks, is they basically play one game a week in Germany. One NFL game a week is, is televised in Germany. And for the better part of the last two decades, it's been the New England Patriots, as you're well aware. I mean, they've been the best you know, franchise in American sports pretty much for the last two decades. So while they're not going to be playing in Foxborough just outside of Boston, they will likely be the pro- prohibitive fan favorites this week in a you know, home-away-from-home game, I guess you could call it, for the Patriots. Yeah, so that's uh, the, the way the world is going. Um, and it was interesting as well, the Premier League coverage on Sky on Sunday afternoon here kept cutting to shots from the game because obviously they've got skin in the game in terms of the broadcast rights. But even you know at halftime in the Premier League, they were making sure to tell you what was going on in Frankfurt, such as the level of interest. Um, uh, where will we go? I tell you what, we'll, we'll finish on the we'll finish on the science stealing scandal and you know <laughs> the controversies. We'll build up to that. Uh, we mentioned obviously international expansion in the uh, in Major League Baseball. The Cubs were in London uh, earlier this year, but the the man that I think was in charge of them that weekend at the London Stadium kind of controversially lost his job last week. Yeah, David Ross, who was a catcher on the Cubs World Series team that won it in 2016, um, was let go this week, kind of in a surprise move. But, you know, Damien, you and I have spoken about this before. You and I are both Cubs fans. And, you know, they they had a, a, a an okay start to the season, played really well in the middle of the year, and then faded at the end. And they they won one game less than the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks made it to the World Series. And I just kind of had a bad feeling about what was going to happen. And sure enough, the Cubs made a move. They hired the manager of their second biggest rival in Milwaukee and got rid of David Ross, and they're going to pay Craig Council, the new manager, $40 million over five years, which is basically double his salary. The last manager to even kind of approach this, Damien, was Joe Torre, who led the Yankees to, you know, multiple World Series in the 90s and the early 2000s. So this is uncharted water for managers in Major League Baseball when it comes to salary. Yeah, but the the big issue at the center of all this, and and again, not to get too um, introspective when we both have an interest in Chicago, but like you've got a situation where they have now kind of fairly cynically dumped a legend of the sport to bring in, you know, like it's... You're going to need to bring success with you pretty quickly in order to win the fans over when they're already unhappy with how all this has been treated. Absolutely. And I think they're looking at the way Council has carried himself as a player. I mean, he played in the major leagues for 15 or 16 years, and he's been a very solid manager with Milwaukee the last couple of years. I I don't know if it was something – I don't think it was anything personality-wise. You know, sometimes general managers and managers, buttheads. I don't necessarily think that was the result with David Ross. I really just kind of feel like it was the results they just – 
they were there and they faded over the last you know month of the season just couldn't get any get the wins that they needed to get and it's been a couple of years in a row of not making the playoffs and it really doesn't matter who you are and who you played for and what you did for the franchise if you don't make the playoffs three year you know two three seasons in a row most teams are going to be looking elsewhere yeah and the issue is that the team that won the world series they dismantled it pretty quickly rather than used it as the foundation to build upon now to finish the university uni- I'm, I, I need to put my teeth back in I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad way tonight the university of Michigan we touched upon this a couple of weeks ago the um, obviously sign stealing you know surreptitiously getting information on the, their opponents there's been a couple of developments right. in this since well you know we talked about this the first time Damien and your basic response was hey doesn't everybody do this and um, that was pretty much Michigan's response. They were like, come on, guys, what are we doing here, you know? Um, and so they have filed an appeal. Um, you know, there, there's talk that there could potentially be, you know, some decisions made with some punishments as early as today or, or by this weekend. It would all be pointing towards the coaching staff. I mean, it's not like any of the players are doing anything. Michigan is asking that they kind of pump the brakes on things and, you know, make sure the full investigation is done. It also helps that, you know, they're like ranked third right now in the college football playoff scenario. So it would be the third year in a row that they would be in the playoff scenario. So um, there's a reason why they want to kind of slow roll this. Um, I mean, it, there's been a lot of developments of other teams talking about, you know, side stealing and how it's kind of come up. But I mean, right now, all of the targets are pointed at Michigan and head coach Jim Harbaugh. The, I always quote the uh, Cranberries debut album in situations like this. This is my mantra that so many sporting teams work by. Everyone else is doing it, so why can't we? So why can't I? Exactly. That's right. Listen, That's we'll, exactly right. We'll leave it there. Good to chat to you as always. Stay safe, Shep. Thanks for being with us as always. All right, Damien. Thanks, buddy. From the States. That brings an end to the program this evening. Graeme Smith's on the way after 7 o'clock. A thanks, as always, to uh, our broadcast coordinator, Laura Lee Davies. John Farrell produced the program from Damien O'Mara until we chat again. Good night. RTE 2FM.